Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is a Shares for Beginners quick tip. Essential lessons, questions answered. Tony Kynaston is arguably one of Australia's best private investors. Tony's a former senior executive of companies like Coles and Shell. He started investing in the stock market 30 years ago and developed a checklist methodology to become a professional investor. It's called Quality at Value. In this quick tip, Tony talks about joining the Australian Shareholders Association and the serious misconceptions many new investors have when they start thinking about their finances. I think the one that got me motivated the most to, to do to talk about investing with people is is fees and commissions. My parents were invested with with a financial advisor, and quite frankly, they were just ripped off. You know, buying lots of managed funds um, when they only needed to buy one fund, so the the financial advisor got more commissions. Um, I think there's still a fair bit of that going on out there. Although, if can I just interrupt? There was wasn't there something in the financial review this morning about was it $360 billion has been transferred from people's super into fund managers' pockets? That's right, banks yeah. and fund managers, yeah. Mm. I think it was even more than that over the last 20 years. Since I think it was since compulsory superannuation came in, that was the amount of fees taken out. And that's also taking into account that if you're in an industry fund, you're paying low fees. Mm. Um, but, but, you know, there's still a heck of a lot of drain going on in the market. So that's the first thing. Please be aware of the fees you're paying and, and, and even the secret commissions that get paid as well. Um, that's the first thing. And then you sort of go through a litany of um, all of the things that the brain has been wired to do over time to help us evolutionarily but which you have to be aware of if you're an investor. So things like fear of missing out. I mean, it suited us as we were evolving as people that if if the herd went that way, you should go with the herd, right, for protection. But that's not always the case if you're a share market investor. And so there's a lot of um, a lot of hype going on, a lot of people following the herd at the moment. Likewise, there's some concepts in, in financial, uh, I guess, theory, which I'm not a subscriber to, things like um, rebalancing your portfolio, why on earth would you want to sell down your best share investment so that you can buy back into your worst? That doesn't make any sense to me. I know it's got. I know what the the arguments are behind it, but I'd rather hang on to my best share investment and and sell it when I want to sell it, rather than at the end of the quarter or the end of the half or the end of the year. Um, I'm also not a fan of diversification, and uh, so people who think that they're getting uh, less risk by buying overseas shares as well as Australian shares or buying commodities or, or commercial real estate or all those kinds of things. Um, all, I could, all I can say is when the GFC hit, they all went down. So you're not necessarily getting any less risk than buying into the one asset class like Australian shares, for example, or, or your own house. I think they're tried and true long-term uh, accumulators of value and I don't think there's any any need to necessarily get fancy about trying to reduce your risk. I think, you, as I said before, you need a framework for investing and that can allow you to sleep at night if you're following your framework rather than just trying to catch the next shooting star. 
Um, so, so all those kinds of things um, are what I come across. Like I said, I, I, and I've been surprised even before uh, I started doing the podcast. You know, I worked with people um, who were managing big companies who had no idea about whether the company was a good investment or not. And you could see that because they would be granted options every year and they would sell them um, as soon as they got them and take a holiday or buy a car or whatever. And I used to say, you're not giving away you know, 50000 You're not getting $50,000 here. You're giving away $500,000 if you wait five years. So, you know, they just didn't have any idea of that. And so I think people's knowledge of financial analysis and what makes a good investment has, has always surprised me. Um, it's not taught in schools. I don't know how people find out about it. For me, it was, you know, I had to go out and do my own research and read lots of books. Um, so I, I think there's, you know, quite possibly a bit of a, we're, we're being, our kids are being let down, I think, by by our education system sometimes and not teaching us very simple metrics about investing, the you know, compound growth and how that works. What What is a quality company? What isn't a quality company? Um, so a little bit of behavioral economics, you know, how, how your brain can fool you with, with some of these things. And so it's it's left to institutions like the Australian Shareholders Association to try and educate people along those lines. That's pretty controversial, saying that uh, diversification is not something that you should be seeking. It's it's something that everyone says you don't want to have all your eggs in the one basket. You should be across different asset classes as well, not just the share market. You don't agree with that at all? Huh? No, I don't. No, no. Um, it, it doesn't. It doesn't help de-risk to, to buy across different asset classes because, as I say, they they can all go down during a crisis. Even bonds. Even bonds. Mm-hmm. I mean, bonds came back the quickest after the GFC, and if you're nimble enough to move out of everything else and put your money in bonds, you did well. Yep. But that doesn't follow the the theory of keeping 10% in bonds or whatever. So that part of the asset of your asset allocation worked well, but that was only a 10% allocation of it. Everything else went backwards, and it didn't make up for it. So um, no, not, not, not just bonds. Let me put it to you this way. You probably know a lot about one particular asset class and and i'm gonna guess it's your own house it's it's residential property there might be something else you know a lot about because of the industries you've worked in in the past and if you stuck to investing in those industries you'd probably do really well why would you want to go out and buy in an asset class you know nothing about you don't know what the risks are in that asset class whether it's commercial property or whether it's gold or or whatever. Um, to me, that doesn't de-risk your portfolio. It increases the risk in your portfolio. And Buffett said it this way. He said that um, concentration doesn't just concentrate your portfolio. It concentrates your mind. You have to think really hard about about an investment if, if it's the only one you're going to make. Like, I'm sure you, you didn't just walk down the street and buy this house. You you did lots of research around. You had a look at a lot of op- open for inspections, all that kind of thing that, that goes on. But if I said to you, no, don't, don't do that, Phil. Take your money and put some in commercial property and buy this ETF on gold and buy this ETF for international shares and, and you, you're risk-free and you'll be set for the rest of your life. I don't know. I think you probably did better out of uh, about, you know, buying the house you bought and doing your homework beforehand and concentrating your investments in that. So the Australian Shareholders Association, <laughs> yes. we need to welcome you as a member. <laughs> We're all very pleased to have you on board. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you for the welcome. And, and thanks to Steve Mab for uh, putting me onto it. I was actually... No, he's strong arm. He's strong arm. <laughs> didn't he? No, he's a good salesperson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was actually a member of the ASA probably 20-odd years ago. I can't remember what, what was going on, but there was, I think from memory, some kind of corporate collapse or some kind of 
blow up in the corporate world and the ASA was recruiting members to help fight uh, what was going on or to try and recover um, some some value for investors out of the collapse. I think it might have been HIH, but I, I, I could be wrong. And I, you know, I thought sort of motivated enough to get in there and give them some money and, and you know, support them for a while. But I didn't stay with them after that. And I've been kind of pleasantly surprised now I've come back to it because I think I think there's a lot of good educational work that's being done by the ASA now to try and help people understand what's out there in the market. And, and to me, the financial market is a bit like the medical market. If I go to my doctor and I say, you know, I've got a sore throat, I'll probably get told I've got some kind of immunal monococcal disease that requires amoxifelin for you know, three weeks and it's, and when I ask how I got it, they'll say it's idiopathic, which means they don't know. So there's a lot of, and I'm not trying to pick on the medical profession, they, they do a good job, but there's a lot of jargon that distances the expert from the end user. And the same thing goes on with the, with the financial world. So I think education is really important. So people can, can, can start to think about where they want to concentrate their time and effort um, with their investments. So I think that's great. I, I think, um, from what Steve's been saying, the, the sort of focus on going and monitoring AGMs and, and, and boards is, is really good too. From the handful of small handful of, ch- of chair people I know of listed ASX companies, they do, I mean, it's, it's probably just a trap of doing the easiest thing, but they do tend to focus on the large institutional investors. If they have a big decision to make, they'll, they'll canvas them. Um, and in some cases, that doesn't even make up half of the shareholder base. And so the retail shareholder goes along for the ride, even if they don't agree with that um, decision. So I think if the ASA can can become um, a strong, I'm going to call it influencer. An interesting, interesting point, I have a friend who runs a, a, a tech company and uh, I started sending him some research from some of the people I follow in that space. Not that I'm a tech investor, but I do subscribe um, to different things. And he was like, wow, this, this is really good analysis. And, and I said, well, you know, this person's probably got a couple of thousand people listening to what they say. And, and, and there's a large number of those are your investors. It's like, oh, I didn't realize that. So, you know, um, I think there's a lot of influences out there to the um, smaller shareholders, which, which uh, boards could um, do well to listen closer to. And I think that the ASA can, can be one of those influences. Yeah, provide advice to um, smaller investors. Yeah. At least it's not going to be necessarily going to sway a board because, like you say, there's much larger forces. But if enough, there are enough people voting and putting their vote in a certain direction, they do have to sit up and listen. Well, that's right, especially with the, the two strikes rule these days where, hmm. where uh, you can cause a board spill by voting against the, the remuneration report two years in a row. Um, and if you get, I think it's 25% of the votes against that report um, in the second year, it leads to a spill. So there is some ammunition. I'm not saying that the ASA should go out there and hostilely attack boards, um, but you look at the work that, say, someone like Stephen May's doing on, on capital raisings and how they tend to favour the institutional investor over the retail investor. At some stage, uh, there'll be someone who says, Listen, you big companies, uh, unless you rectify that imbalance, we're going to tell all of our members and all of our listeners to sell their shares and, and move somewhere else. Now, but the company might be happy with that, but the share price will go down. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, there is a, I think there's a role for advocacy. I, look, I don't think retail shareholders get you know, the short end of the pineapple too much. So um, I think the boards do a pretty good job generally. But from time to time, there'll be problems, and that's, that's, it's good to have a, 
um, a bit of muscle when you go in and, and, and try and rectify those problems. I'm a bit old school. I, you know, I, um, if I don't like the board, I'll sell the share. So mm. um, I'm not going to stick around and try and influence them. And I couldn't because I don't have enough of a shareholding base. But I think I've been a top 10 shareholder in a company once. <laughs> <laughs> appeared in the annual report yeah. that I know of. There could have been some other ones too. But um, it didn't didn't interest me at all going and sitting on a board or anything like that to, to help run the company. Yeah. Been there, done that. I'd just rather be a passive investor. <laughs> Go and play golf. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not shares for beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.